Genesis chapter 39, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me, Genesis chapter 39. And uh, we are going to read the whole chapter. So listen, if you have a hard time standing for long periods of time, you can just, you can have a seat. It's not a long chapter, but uh, super important for us to read the whole thing. The Bible says in verse 1, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. You remember, he just had been sold into slavery by his brothers. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Are you, you catching the consistent theme here? And that the Lord, we're talking Yahweh, right? In the midst of total polytheism, this pagan person recognizes that the monotheistic God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who's causing his servant to prosper. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was. From the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord, that Yahweh, blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of Yahweh was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Dun, 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 dun. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. Just a little reminder there. Check this out. This next sentence, highlight it, circle, circle it, memorize it, text it to a friend. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, man, this woman's persistent. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and ran outside. And so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, Liar. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until her master came home, until his master came home, excuse me. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me about this manner, after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Check this out. So good. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Yeah, Father, we do say, we do say amen. We do say amen to this story. And, and God, thank you so much for the integrity of this teenager. God, that in his life there is something so solid for us to learn and to glean today. God, we want to walk in that same integrity. We want to be people who stand upon the moral principles of your word. God, that are unwavering, that are unwilling to buckle under the pressure of temptation. 
And so, God, we pray today that not only would you help us, God, not only would you motivate us and stir us to be people of integrity, but God, for the soul today that's in the midst of temptation, that is in the, in the center of an intersection of decision, in the valley of decision right now, God, give them the strength to do what is right for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, you're going to have to wait because I'm on the wrong, I'm on the wrong set of notes, Okay. Thanks. Appreciate that. Here we go. All right. Hey, I want to start today's message with a question for you, okay? What happens when your integrity threatens your success? What happens when your integrity threatens your success? I mean when doing the right thing will cost you and doing the wrong thing will prosper you. When you make the right decision and it costs you financially or it may cost you some friends or you may not get the opportunity that you were hoping for, the Cambridge Dictionary defines integrity like this. It says, it is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles that you refuse to change. Man, that is good. Let me read it again to you today. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles that you refuse to change. Now, um, obviously, in today's culture, I have to take the extra step and define moral principles because we don't see a lot of those around us in our culture today. So what do I mean when I say moral principles? I'm talking about having a standard for what is right and what is wrong. Moral principles mean that we have a standard for what is right and what is wrong. And so integrity is refusing to compromise those. It's refusing to compromise those. Now, when we talk about integrity, oftentimes we think of architecture or we think of construction. We think of the process of building a building like this and, and, and having engineers involved that understand that part of the process has to be eliminating weaknesses so the building doesn't buckle under stress, right? When you talk about the integrity of a building, we're talking about, hey, it's gone through the process of being engineered in such a way where the weaknesses have been engineered out so that when the wind blows or the earth shakes, the building doesn't fall. And I think that is such an appropriate illustration for integrity in our lives. Because it's integrity that causes you to stand and not buckle under temptation. You know, sometimes, sometimes I think we confuse image with integrity, and it's important for me in the culture that we live in today to make sure we understand the difference between those two things, because, you know, sometimes we can, we can put, put an image of ourselves out there that does not bear with the reality of what's going on in our hearts. I mean... We can do this in the workplace, we can do this among our friends, and this is not an anti-social media statement, but you know, social media can get leveraged all the time to give people an impression, an image of who we would want to be, but the truth is this, there's a huge difference between who we present ourselves to be and who we really are. John Maxwell said this, he said, image is who people think you are, integrity is who you really are. Now, I think that's, I think that's good for us to ponder today. You know, is there a difference? Is there a gap? Is there a growing gap between the image that we present and the reality that's on the inside? Because for the child of God, image and integrity should be the same thing. Image and integrity should be the same thing. There should be no difference. There should be no gap between those two things. And when there is a gap, you know what we call it. We call it hypocrisy, right? We put something out there that's not really who we are. And the greatest example of those two things being the same thing is, of course, Jesus Christ, you know, the image that he presented was an expression of who he really was. He was the express image of God, right? This was who he portrayed himself to be because this was who he really was. And this is part of discipleship. Part of being Christ-like is learning how to be authentic and transparent in a way where the image that we express expresses who we really are on the inside. It conveys integrity. You know, I, I think that 
sometimes we don't really know the depth of our integrity until it's tested. And this was one of the biggest tests in Joseph's life, no doubt. What was being revealed wasn't just being revealed to Potiphar's wife or to Potiphar um, or even to God, because of course God knew, but it was being revealed to Joseph what had been being built over the course of years. I think Joseph's life provides us four reasons today why we should choose to live a life of integrity. And so if you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you to write these things down. And I think it's really important for us to consider integrity because it's something that's missing, not just in the secular world around us, but even within the church. So listen, like Joseph, we choose integrity because we know where success comes from. We know where success comes from. I, I love verse six, like you have to be, you have to be, uh, you have to be disconnected from reality not to get the message that God is conveying in verses 1 to 6 because he says it over and over again, right? The Lord was with Joseph. Even the unbelieving master saw that God was with Joseph, that God made all Joseph do to prosper. Over and over again, we see that it was God who gave Joseph his success, Joseph's decision in this moment to do the right thing was based on a conviction that success comes from God. And I think, like, you can hear Joseph conveying this even as he's re refusing and giving a rebuttal to, to this woman's advances. It's like, hey, listen, look what God has given to me. How could I do this? How could I make this decision? Because consider how God has blessed me. Joseph, when he's conveying this, he really did mean it. You know, Joseph understood that the increase in the prosperity, even in difficult circumstances, that had come to his life was not a matter of good luck. It's not a matter of good luck. Hey, as, as Christians, we don't wish each other luck because we live under the sovereign hand of God, right? I mean, it's the blessings of God. Joseph knew it wasn't luck. Joseph knew it wasn't chance or fate. Joseph knew it wasn't a matter of the, the stars being aligned, Joseph knew it wasn't a matter of him manifesting it into existence simply by speaking it. That's a big deal today, right? I mean, you hear a lot of people talking about manifesting something. Hey, listen, uh, and, and it's just a, a same, the same lie that the devil has per perpetrated over so many years, just repackaged in a different word. If you just believe it enough in your heart and you speak it with your mouth, it will come into existence, I mean, I don't see Joseph saying that. I don't see Joseph saying, hey, well, you know what? I mean, it's really been, it's been grit. It's been hard work. It's been sacrifice. All of this uh, influence that I have is a, a function of my own personal will or discipline. Sometimes when God blesses us, you know, we just have the tendency to take credit for his blessing ourselves, and we can look to our own abilities. Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph's like, man, the favor and the blessing comes from God. It comes from the Lord. I want to remind us today as a people of God that favor comes from God. Favor comes from God. Hey, man, you just closed a deal. You're a Christian, and you just closed a deal. There was uh, something that you labored over the course of time, and, man, there was just this great thing financially, a windfall for you. Guess what? God blessed you. God blessed you with that. Hey, you've been in the workplace, and you've been scrapping your way through it, and, and all of a sudden... Managers have taken notice of you and the doors open for you to kind of climb the ladder of, of uh, that workplace mobility. Guess what? God opened that door for you. God is the one who blessed you. You've uh, decided to make an investment in a particular thing and, and all of a sudden the return on it is just so great. Well, guess what? That came from the Lord. It's his blessing upon your life. Don't take credit for what God ultimately has blessed you for. I pray this for people all the time. I just prayed it for Alec and Ari that they would have Joseph-like favor. Joseph-like favor because God is the one who opens the doors. Jeremiah 29, 11, you're familiar with this verse. This is what God says over the nation of Israel. And I personally do believe this promise is true for those who put their trust and faith in Christ. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you, this side knows it, this side knows it right here, plans to give you hope and a future. Hey, if that's the case, you don't have to resort to the flesh. 
You don't have to be an opportunist. And you can make the right decision even, even if it's going to cost you because in the end, you don't lose anything. God gave it all to you anyways. And the one who gave it, right, the one who gave it, you make a decision. It's a hard one. It's going to cost you. The one who gave you the increase is able to supply it again. For the Christian, by the way, this was what Job said in a really difficult scenario as he had lost everything. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. You know how he wraps this up. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So listen, for the Christian, success is not just about where you get to. It's about how you get there. It's about how you get there. And you do it God's way, and you trust that he is the one who provides the increase, the prosperity, the blessing, and the favor. Look, we choose integrity because we know where success comes from. The second thing that we learn from his life is we choose integrity because normal is normally wrong. We choose to do the right thing because normal, normal in our culture is normally wrong. You say, well, what, what does this have to do with Joseph? Well, the fact is this. What Potiphar's wife was doing was common practice. It was common practice. Like, this was not out of the ordinary. And this is some speculation, but I just would say, Joseph probably wasn't the first handsome young guy that she had sought to seduce. And so, and, and I think that amplifies her frustration when he rejects her. She, and I'm saying this, she's not used to being rejected. She's not used to being resisted because what she's doing is part of the way the culture operates anyway, right? Her husband was a eunuch. All of, all of, Pharaoh's, all of Pharaoh's chief captains were all eunuchs so that Pharaoh's wives were not potentially cheating on him. And so you have a woman who's not satisfied by her husband. She's going to someone else to be satisfied. And Joseph, Joseph could have said, hey, listen, everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it, right? I mean, this is the way it works in the house. There's other servants probably that have engaged in this, but he knew just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right. Look, there was a total moral clarity that Joseph had. And I just want you to consider the end of verse 9, what Joseph says. I mean, it is striking what he says. He says, how then can I do this great, what's the word he uses? Wickedness. How can I do this great wickedness? Look, this thing that you're asking me to do, that you're enticing me to do, as you've arranged the situation, as you just won't stop, you are knocking on the door incessantly. Let me tell you what this is. From God's perspective, this is wickedness. Now listen, if Hollywood was writing this story, it wouldn't go like this. Hollywood will not write a story where someone's integrity was being honored and respected, where someone made the right decision. Hollywood would write it like this. Hey, there's this woman, Potiphar's wife. She's enticing Joseph. He's a handsome guy. And they have this love affair. And it's a beautiful thing. And they fall in love. And it's okay anyway because her husband wasn't meeting her needs. And so there's this beautiful romantic relationship. This is Hollywood's version, not mine. Beautiful romantic relationship that's established and, and then you know what? They conspire together and they overthrow Potiphar and ultimately they take the throne of Pharaoh and it's, and it's, it's presented. You, you, can, you can see the novel that's already being written right now by somebody out there. Someone's like, oh yeah, yeah this, is, this will sell. Hey, look, this will sell and it will sell and it will sell because this is what our culture is hungry for. We live in a culture where there is a pervasive wickedness. And the message in, and you guys know I'm not just an anti-culture guy, right? But the truth is this, it has to be said, our culture says evil is good and good is evil. That's what our culture says. I mean, how could I have this message without mentioning the Oscars today? I mean, I just want to tell, I'm not anti-Oscars, all right, but I will tell you I've never, ever watched the Oscars, um, but I, I've just, it was fascinating to me. I just want to share a couple of thoughts, all right, that were really fascinating to me, and, and by the way, as I say this, I'm, I'm not um, acknowledging 
violence um, or condoning it in any way. But, but as I just kind of step back and consider how our cultures responded, it is amazing how much moral clarity is coming from people in this particular moment in a culture of total moral relativism. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like I'm listening to people, Hollywood elites, etc., talk about this situation with, with sharp moral clarity, and yet they live in a lifestyle of total moral ambiguity, right? They can get this issue right and yet get sexuality, gender identity, value of life, gluttony, greed, <laughs> hatred, violence, drug use, drunkenness, wrong. They can get it wrong. And, and you got to just step back and understand what really is going on here. I'm saying to you today, church, you can't get an understanding of moral standard from the culture that you live in. You cannot. And if you try to, you will end up making the wrong decision. You surround yourself with people who are not believers. And I'm not saying today you can't have friends you can't be friends with people that aren't Christian. I'm not saying that. But if they're your closest counselors, people who aren't even rooted in the word of God, listen, for some of us, we give God 120 minutes max throughout the week, and then the rest of our time, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you do the math, we are influenced, saturating in our culture, right? And we're getting our cues. We're getting our ideas. We're getting counsel on how we should make decisions from a culture that's not even rooted in the word of God. And then on top of it, we surround ourselves with people who don't have the same moral standing that we do. And we wonder why we end up making decisions that lead to personal dysfunction and destruction. Look, you can't get your understanding of moral principle or standard from the world. Sometimes you can't get it from your family. Sometimes you can't get it from your family. Now, I pray to God that, that we all understand it's such a huge responsibility to be a parent, right? I mean, God help us. God help us. And God does help us. There's no perfect parent in this room or listening online today. If you think you are, come to our Parenting 101 class, okay? We'll, we'll help you. We'll help you. And, uh, yeah, we'll help you. But, but the fact is this, sometimes there are ways of, of thinking even in our own family, our families, right? We grow up thinking a certain way, thinking that certain behaviors are right. And, and I'm just saying that, that you know, even, even in the best family, we have to understand that oftentimes there are patterns that aren't glorifying to God that should not be being repeated. Let me just go a little further and say, even in the church, even the church, let me just say the church, sometimes the church is not even a good standard that we can look to and say, man, there, there's where I can draw my moral principle. There, there's where I can draw my moral standard because listen, we see the culture around us influencing the church instead of the church influencing the culture. Right? We see this happening today. Sometimes in an effort to be relevant, to build a bridge, we think, well, you know, we'll just move the goalpost. We'll move the goalpost. We'll, 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 we'll reset the standard a little bit because we don't want to offend anybody. We want to be palatable. We want people to come, and then we convey a message, and then we end up teaching truth that's in conflict with a method that we use to get them to sit in the seat in the first place. Who's the hypocrite in that? Who's the hypocrite in that? God, help us. God, help us to not move the goalpost as the people of God. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, Paul said to Timothy, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. This is, this is huge. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground, the pillar and the ground of truth. The pillar and the ground of truth, not just for God's people, but for the world that we live in. The foundation, right? The, the pillar that causes something to stand. You and I can complain all day long about the waywardness of the culture, but you know what? We won't get it right until we understand that the waywardness of the culture is connected to the waywardness of the church. 
right? This is why we pray for an awakening among God's people first. It's when the church wakes up and we start walking the way that God wants us to walk, then we become a light to the world and not just another reason to excuse them for putting their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So you say, well, what do I, what do I look to? I say you look to God's revelation. How do you establish a moral standard for yourself? You look to what is prescribed in the Bible, right? God has made it clear. You've always got to go back to the book. You've got to understand what it is that God has prescribed. And let me just say this. The prescriptions of God in the scripture are not anachronistic. You say, well, what does that mean? I say, Google it later when you get home. No, I'm just kidding. I'm saying to you, there's never going to be a point in time where you say, well, that doesn't apply for today. I mean, that was written 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or 3,600 years ago, depending on who you're reading. And the world would say, well, that's old. You know, that's anachronistic. It's out of time. It has no place. There's no relevance for it. You're, that's never true about the Word of God because the Word of God permeates all generations for all times. There, it's God's standard. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. It's God's standard. It's unchanging because God himself is unchanging. It's a reflection of who he is and what he desires for those whom he has created. All right? And so what we do is we look to the prescription of God's word and then we look to its description or its display in the life of Christ. So I'm saying this, man, you're in a hard spot. You don't know what decision to make. You, the culture's messed up. Yeah, you, your family's pretty messed up. The church, you know, has blown it too. And so, so what do you do? You go to the word. God, what do you have to say about this? And by the way, while I'm looking for your prescription, I'm going to look to the life of Christ. I want to look to Jesus' life. How did this roll out in Jesus' life? Well, you're never going to know that until you read the gospel accounts. And I'm not saying today, hey, just get a bracelet, a WWJ, what would Jesus do, bracelet? And, and you know, it's like a good luck charm. You'll always do the right thing. Power to the people. You know, you're all set. I, I, there's a place. There's a place in our lives to say, okay, Lord, what would you do in this situation? What would you do in this situation? Right? Would you go to this place? Would you want me to go to this place? Would you want me inebriated? Would you want me smoking that? I'm just, you know, you fill in the blank for yourself. I'm just saying, consider the life of Christ. Because if it doesn't align with his life, the safe thing is to make sure you're not aligning yourself to it. And so Joseph knew that his wickedness was a sin. Or that the, he, he didn't commit wickedness. He knew this wickedness would be a sin. And, and you know he had every reason. Like, I mean, he's in this moment, and it's just him and her. And he could have said, hey, no one's going to see it, right? No one's going to see it. And I'm a young person. My, my hormones are rolling. I mean, this is probably not a bad thing. I think in his victimization, he could have said, you know, you know I've suffered a lot. I've been through a lot. I deserve this. I deserve this. And you know what? Not only that, God, where have you been? Where have you been anyway? And what's the purpose of following you? Like, I, I, I wanted to follow you, then my brothers betrayed me. I got sold into slavery. This woman has lied about me. And so, you know what, I'm just throwing in the towel. He did not do any of that. He did not do any of that. What does he do? He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin, and sin? The Hebrew word is chata. Yeah, I did that just on purpose for you guys today. And now we're all going to do it together. Okay, and you got to get that not on your neighbor. Don't get it on your neighbor. Some of you, you're like, man, I, I was totally against masks until right now. We got any extra masks, Pastor, before we do this exercise? But the Hebrew word is chata. Say it. That's good. Now say it like you mean it. Yeah, it means to fail. It means to miss the goal. It means to be wrong. It means to offend, right? Now, there are some people today who say, well, listen, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting someone else. I mean, that's a common refrain today that we hear from our culture. But, but Joseph understood that the person who is, in fact, offended or impacted or hurt in the midst of our sin is God himself, how could I, check this out, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sin against God. How can I do this thing and fail God, miss the goal of loving God, 
do this thing and not please God? How could I do this and offend God or miss the purpose that God has for me? I appreciate this so deeply about Joseph that he was willing to, we'll talk about this in a second, bring it back to God. In fact, this was precisely what David said in Psalm 51. You remember that great psalm of repentance and David, after a year of hiding his sin and suppressing it uh, and all of the inner turmoil that he went through, he conveys it in some of his psalms. Finally, he comes to this place where it's brought out into the light. It's brought out into the light. And he says, God, against you and you alone, against you and you alone have I sinned. And then he asks God to renew him and return to him the joy of his salvation. Hey, today, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm saying all of these words, and for you today, man, it's like I, my words are like a hammer pounding the nail, and you're just getting lower and lower because you failed. You have failed. You didn't do what Joseph did. And maybe you're just, you're just a couple of steps into it, or maybe you're deep down the road in this. I just want to say to you that God can turn it all around in a moment. He can turn it all around in a moment. That God can take that, the burden, and the shame, and the guilt of sin, and he can lift it from you as you put your trust and faith in Christ and turn the course of your life back towards him. As you get back into to your life, key core values that are like the North Star guiding you in the decisions that you make. And that's the third thing today if you're taking notes. It's this. Like Joseph, we choose integrity because integrity is based on unchanging core values. The integrity in our lives is based on unchanging core values. Joseph had been building integrity before this temptation came. You guys know that. I mean, you look at Joseph's, Joseph's life and we just get a, a glimmer, right, right? We get a really small glimpse, but we see that there had been in his life a, a willingness to choose what was right in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And, and that process of building integrity came to serve him well in this particular moment. But his integrity was based on core values that were to him like the North Star. They were fixed points, right? They were fixed, unchanging points. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of being lied about, in the midst of his victimization. You know, when Joseph is a young man, probably 19 years old or so right now, with, with separated from his family, not in the place where he grew up. I mean, he's in this foreign land, and there would have been every opportunity for him to make the wrong decision, and yet in all of it, he had fixed points that guided him in his life. And the first one was this. He chose loving God, right? A core value in Joseph's life, number one, was loving God. It all came back to his relationship with the Lord, in other words, Joseph would probably, at least his life, conveyed it like this. You know, I love and I honor God too much to yield to this temptation. I love him and I honor him too much to yield to this temptation. In other words, there's a higher value, right? There's a higher value, higher than pleasure, higher than ego, higher than accomplishment, higher than some experience, higher than our reputation, higher than getting more stuff for ourselves. There are reasons we choose to do what is right. And the first one is this, it's because we love God. It's the highest reason, it's the highest value that we have. And because he loved the Lord, listen, Joseph took the way of escape. He took the way of escape, he ran. He found the exit. You know, I was thinking about this phrase this weekend, and I just think it's good. Someone should make a shirt. Real men run from sin. Isn't that, isn't, yeah, I know. That's not new. I probably read it somewhere. But, but real men run from sin. You know, real men understand that, that when we choose to yield to temptation, we're putting other things above God. And so instead of doing that, we will take the way out. Because you know what? You're never in a place where you don't have an option. You're never in a situation or a spot where it's like, well, you know what, God, you put me in this situation, and, and these were circumstances that you allowed, and I didn't really have a choice. No, that's not true. No, that, that's not true. You're never in that spot. You say, give me a Bible verse. I say, thanks for asking. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13, like the all-time go-to verse for dealing with temptation, in addition to James chapter 1. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Look, we're all dealing with temptation. Every one of us in this room, oh, pastor, you know what? You're just at church all the time. You don't deal with temptation. Are you kidding me? That's not true. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it, right? I mean, there's always a way out for Joseph. It was like, man, I am out of here. I am out of here. She's pulling and tugging, tearing his clothes off, and he's like, you can have the clothes, woman. I am. I'm on the other side of the room. I'm out the door, and there's nothing that's going to stop me. There's nothing that's going to stop me. Let me give you a solid motivation today to choose the right thing. It's the cross. It's the cross of Christ. Look, it's, it's remembering what he did for us, his willingness to die in our place, to suffer in our stead, that our sin, no matter how great or how minuscule, all of it an offense against God. Listen, if you were the only person to ever live on the face of the earth and you only committed one sin and it was an immoral thought, he still would have had to die on the cross. That's how bad sin is. That's how holy God is. That's how holy God is. And that's how just and righteous God is. And so we remember, listen, every time we take the bread and the cup, we remember what he did for us. And that is the motivation. Paul said it like this, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Why do we walk in integrity? Why do we choose to do the right thing? Well, because of what he did for us. And not only the sacrifice that he made, but the purpose that he has in our lives. We are all together a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away and everything has been made new, right? He is molding and shaping us into the very image of his son. And if this is in fact his divine purpose for our lives, why would we do things that would fight against it? Because every time we sin, we're not, we're not, just, we're not just saying yes to ourselves, we are saying no to the Holy Spirit. The second thing today, the second core value that was like a, a fixed north star was that he loved other people. Clearly he loved other people. Or let me just say it like this, people mattered to Joseph. And this is part of what he says. He's like, man, how could I do this thing against your very husband who has entrusted everything into my hands? How could I do this to him? How could I betray his confidence? How could I live in such infidelity to somebody who has given me so much, because he loved God, he saw people through, through God's lens. He valued people. Joseph valued the trust that had been given to him. I want to say something to you today. It may take me a couple times saying it. Maybe I should rewrite it, but I want you to think about it. If you think your success is a result of your abilities... If you think that your success is a result of your abilities, fidelity in relationships becomes a matter of expedience. If you think your success is a result of your abilities, fidelity or faithfulness in relationships is just a matter of what's ultimately in your own best interests. Look, if it's all about you in the first place, then, 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 then why be faithful? Why be faithful? Why stay the course with relationships? Why do what is right? Why think about how it's going to impact other people? I get this all the time as a pastor. And I don't mean to say the same illustrations over and over again, but there are times where I sit down with a husband who says to me, you know what, she's just, you know, not meeting my expectations. We have irreconcilable differences. It's time for me to move on. And I'm like, dude, I mean, what, what about her? What about the kids? And, and I'm telling you, I've heard this so many times from husbands. Well, you know what? Kids are resilient. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means I don't care they'll get over it. That, that's what it means. It means I don't care. I want to do it my way. I'm not really concerned about what God thinks or his standard. I've made my decision. And you know what? They'll get over it. It's just a nice way of saying it. And the truth is this. The truth is this, that godly people consider the effects of their decisions on the people around them. They do. And when you remember that everything comes from God, this is, this is what you're reminded to do. You treat it as a gift from the Lord. 
If you don't, it'll always be about the next opportunity, the next open door, the next step up, no matter who you step on. The fourth thing that we see and the final thing today, thanks for being patient, is this. We choose integrity even when we know that it will cost us. Like Joseph, we choose integrity even when we know that it will cost us. And as you consider Joseph's life, his integrity cost him and his integrity prospered him. His integrity cost him and his integrity prospered him. Now this is for another message. But one thing that amazes me about Joseph is that he was not embittered by his victimization. You know, I just, I think that, I think if Joseph was living in our culture today, man, he would be so reinforced by so many just to be a bitter person. You know, oh, you know what, Joseph, you deserve more than this. You deserve more, man. I mean, come on. You're entitled. Look at your family. Look at your family. Look at, look at the promises of God. You know, there would have been this message that would have been reinforced in Joseph's life that he was a person who was entitled to something. But you know what? Entitledness makes us bitter when we're victimized. Entitledness makes us bitter when we're victimized. Joseph understood that he was entitled to nothing, but everything was a blessing. Oh, man. God help us. You know what that produces? It produces a lifestyle of gratitude and generosity, right? I mean, it's like, God, I, I know what I deserve. I know what I deserve. And maybe you, you get tired of me saying this, but, but I'll just, just say it anyway, because I don't care if you're tired of it. It's like, God, I know I deserve hell. I know I deserve hell. I know who I am. I know what I've done. And you know what? This should not be a beleaguering message to you, because there should always be that self-reminder, the personal evaluation that if it wasn't for the grace of God, you know what? We would all be headed on to the highway to hell. I'm not singing the ACDC song today, but you know. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, that when we remember that it comes from God, it battles against that, that sense of entitlement, like we deserve something more. And then we, when we don't get it, we become embittered. Joseph was un unwilling to sacrifice the long-term goal for the short-term gratification. Some of you are in that spot today. You know, there's a, a short-term experience that might be personally gratifying to you, but you know what? You're going to sacrifice so much if you simply say yes to that. Choose to do what is right in the eyes of God. Joseph did, and he got thrown in prison. He got thrown in prison. He was forgotten by man, but I want to encourage you today, he was not forgotten by God. God was, and, and you know, what a beautiful way, verses 21 to 23, it's like, man, it's an exclamation point. What a, what a punctuation mark for this otherwise difficult chapter. Like, you look what he goes through, and then you read verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and show, showed him mercy. Maybe your translation says that he was steadfast in his love to Joseph. God was steadfast in his love. Even when you walk through great difficulty, God is still merciful. It is his steadfast love. Joseph wasn't a victim. In fact, God was using all things and working them together to fulfill his divine purpose. And the steadfast love of God is worth Every hard decision that you will make that's based on your integrity. In the end, it's God's love that will make you stand to do the right thing. And I just want to share a final word today. One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, so solid, the time is always right to do what is right. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful today, God, that you've not left us to moral ambiguity or confusion or moral relativism. We see it all around us, but, but God, the path of your servant is straight. God is straight. And we, we want, God, we want to walk in alignment with your prescription. We want to live a life of Christ-likeness. We don't want a massive disparity between who we portray ourselves to be and who we really are. Father, today we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us for today, for, for some today that, God, they would be led to the cross for salvation and deliverance. For, God, we believe that there are those present with us today that need to be saved by your Son 
And God, we pray today for those of us who may be in the midst of the valley of decision. And, and, and Father, maybe there's a, a trail of bad decisions. We've made the wrong choices. Today, God, that there would be a humility, a meekness to humble ourselves before you, to turn from our wickedness, and to, to come to you, to come to the cross for healing and for forgiveness and for cleansing. God, maybe today there are some in this room who, who are in, the, in that intersection, but God, haven't made the wrong choice. We pray that you would supply the strength to continue to forge forward and to do what's right. And so today, as our eyes are closed and as our bow, heads are bowed, maybe today, and of course, you, you know, we believe that you're not here by accident. I mean, there may be circumstances that seem fully reasonable that have led to you being here. God has been the one behind it, behind it all, leading you not to uh, an institution because the church doesn't save, but he's been leading you to this moment, to a person, to his son, to once and for all turn away from, from sin, the sin that's been an offense to him, and to put your trust and faith in Jesus because that's where your deliverance is. That's where your healing is. That's where your new beginning is. That's where real purpose for life comes from. That today the burden that you've been carrying of guilt and shame can be once and for all lifted from your soul as you are united to God through faith in Christ and you become his child. There's nothing more amazing than this. This is the reason for your existence and this is the reason that you're here today this morning if if this is you and you know you need to put your trust and faith in Christ you've been living a life without God and there's been sin in your life and you need forgiveness and and you want to go forward from this moment on living with the Lord in your life would you raise your hand today I want to pray for you just stretch your hand up high you're just acknowledging God bless you and saying that, you know, I want God in my life. Over here on my left and over here on my right, I see your hand in yours, in yours, in yours in the back on my right, and here in the center in the front, and here in the front as well, and over here on my left. He loves you. I'm telling you, he loves you. And I can say this to you as somebody whose life was a, just a wreck, a total wreck, that he took me in the midst of all of my sin that was so great. And as I put my faith in his son, he received me. He'll receive you too today. You might be thinking, man, I'm so far down the road, there's no way. Oh, yes, there is. His arm is not too short that it cannot save. And so raise your hand today if there's anybody else. <clears throat> I see your hand. Thank you. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Maybe today, there's two other things real quickly today. Maybe, maybe as a Christian, look, there's, you've been walking down a road of bad decisions. You've been walking down a road of sin. It, it started somewhere, and, and God will show you that starting point. That's not the point right now, but you know you need to get back on track with God. And, and Christian, I'm saying to you that, that God loves you, and, and you know he doesn't want your life to be an image that's not correlated to integrity. God wants to give you a brand new beginning. God wants to give you a new start. God wants to get you back on track. And he can do it today if you just humble yourself. And so, so child of God, if today you need a, a fresh start with the Lord and, and you need a, an opportunity just to confess that you've been walking down the wrong road, but you want to live with Loving him and loving others is your core values. Raise your hand right now. Let me see who you are. I want to pray for you. God bless you guys. Here in the front, in the back, on my right, in the back, in the center, here, right in the front. Thank you. God bless you guys so much over here on my left. And today, finally, I just, I see your hand in the back. Thank you. I see your hands. God bless you. And you can put your hands down. Finally, today, if... Um, if, you know, you haven't yielded to temptation, but man, you need strength because it is, the temptation is, 
is on you right now. It's on you. And you know, you just, you feel like you've done everything you can, but you don't know how much longer you can endure. I want to pray for you today too, that God would give you strength. And so would you raise your hand? Let me see who you are. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. It's good. And this is the place that God meets you. You can put your hands down. And Father, today we thank you, God, for each of these lives. And thank you, God, that you are omniscient. You know each of these and every detail. God, you are omnipotent. You are all-powerful to supply what each heart and soul needs. And God, we believe with all of our hearts as these hearts are open to you, that God, you will meet them and you will exceed their expectations as they choose to trust and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand today. Today, uh, I just want to encourage you guys, we're wrapping up the service, but this is the most important part of our service, and so don't leave, all right? Don't leave. Lunch can wait. Kids and kids' ministry can wait, too. Um, Today, if you raised your hand, I prayed for you, that's good, but you know what? You need to pray. You need to make your confession to God. You need to pour your heart out to God. You need to acknowledge to him that you're going to do it his way, that you're going to trust in him, that you're going to believe in Jesus. And listen, when you come with open heart and open hands to God, that's where the favor and the blessing comes from. God has great things prepared for you. And so today for all of you who have raised your hands, giving your life to Christ or or getting back aligned with God or supplying strength in the midst of temptation, today I want to lead you in prayer because you need to make your confession to him. All right, let's bow our heads together, and I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer today. Uh, Your prayer is to the God of the universe, the almighty God who loves you with an everlasting love. Your prayer is going to be putting your trust and faith in Christ and believing that as you do, that God is going to fulfill every promise. He is going to fulfill every promise. He has bound himself to fulfill the promises that he has made available to you through faith in his son. And so today, pray with anticipation, pray with joy, pray with hope, pray with faith, pray believing that the new beginning is coming because that's exactly what he is going to do. I want you to pray this prayer out loud after me. And God, thank you that you love me. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your love, but I receive it. I believe in Jesus, that he died for me, and I receive today forgiveness, life, hope, joy, and your new beginning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.